So I said at the beginning of the service, this is a passage from the start of Luke chapter 2, which often is shared in nativity services, carol services, and that sort of thing. We, we read it, and I don't know about you, but I, I find it quite comforting, because it, it does remind me of that, that warmth of Christmas. It reminds me of, of the times I've sat in, in churches or, or school halls, and there have been candles lit, and there's been decorations up, and there's been a tree in the corner, and these verses have been read, and I've been reminded of, the, of, of Christmas, and that, that lovely warmth, the anticipation of Christmas Day. Now, I'm very aware, last time I preached um, here, a couple of weeks ago, um, it was the passage from Isaiah chapter 7. And I implored you when, you, when you read that, don't let it be like Pavlov's dog, where you read a passage and immediately start thinking of what you've been conditioned to think about. I said, don't let this be just about Christmas. Well, this morning, it's Okay. We can let this one be about Christmas. We can read this one and allow ourselves to be excited and joyful at the thought of Christmas. However, however, it might be that the image it conjures up in your mind is similar to the image it conjures up in mine. This idyllic nativity scene. The hay, the stable some animals, the couple, the manger, the baby, the wise men, the gifts, the shepherds, the star, and maybe the odd palm tree or something like that, giving it a bit of a frame. You see, we can read this passage and there's a danger that we've sort of been conditioned once again to think of it in these terms. But this morning, the actual verse on the notice sheet you'll see is is just, it's Luke chapter 2 and it's verses 13 to 14. And it talks about the shepherds and it talks about what the angels said to the shepherds. But we need to look into the context a little bit. We need to think a little bit about these shepherds because often they are portrayed as poor, lowly outcasts. As the sort of people that we probably wouldn't pay any attention to. The sort of people who disappeared off into the fields with their flocks and they they minded their sheep and we didn't have an awful lot... They didn't have an awful lot of contact with the rest of the world, the rest of the, the human world. They spent more time with animals than they did with people. But actually, we're missing the point a bit. You see, these shepherds, actually, they were incredibly brave. Their job involved them committing to putting their lives before the life of the sheep they were protecting. We know uh, David was a shepherd, and we know that um, when David was, uh, was first um, spoken about by Saul, before he was called to court, he was identified as, um, in some translations, it says he was identified as a mighty warrior. This was before the whole Goliath thing. And I've challenged people on that before. And I've said, look, what does scripture mean? Because we're told that David and Goliath, he was, a, he was a mere shepherd boy. We portray him as being weak and feeble. And yet, before that, actually, David is described as a, as a, as a, as a warrior, as a fighter. And one of the explanations that's been given to me, and I'm, I'm not quite sure whether I fully accept it or not, was that being a shepherd actually didn't mean he was weak and feeble and a bit pathetic. It actually meant 
that he was incredibly courageous. He says, doesn't he, to Saul, that he's, he, he's actually wrestled mountain lions. He's fought off bears and other wild animals when they try to uh, um, uh, attack his flock. And so David actually, being a shepherd, came into Saul's court with a certain degree of, of respect, with a certain degree of, of warrior-like status. The shepherds at the Nativity were no different. They were out at night watching their flocks of sheep. They were out protecting. They were out patrolling and guarding. A shepherd's job was, was like a security guard to make sure that this precious livestock was protected at all costs. And if a shepherd lost his life defending his sheep, well, we'll find another shepherd, so long as the sheep are okay. That was the attitude of the, 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 the farmers, the livestock owners. So these men were brave, they were loyal. They were loyal, they, as I say, they would put their lives before the lives of the sheep they were looking after. They were also thoroughly uncomplicated. They lived a very simple lifestyle. They wouldn't have been particularly educated and their job, their existence was a very simple one. They were very uncomplicated. In this passage, we see how God uses these people. He appears to them, gives them a message, gives them a task. So, they're given a sign by the angels. What is that sign? From that reading where, where we read what the angel says to them. The angel says, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So that's what the angel, the angel tells them. That's all good, that's great. The, the, the shepherds are sitting there. Imagine absorbing that. Imagine just hearing all this, these, these uneducated, uncomplicated guys who uh, their, their, their sole existence was about protecting sheep. They were pretty much told by society, sheep are on a higher social level than you. And suddenly they get told this message. But the angel says, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. If you, if you don't understand the message... If you don't believe what you've just been told, if you think you've had too much cheese before, for lunch, or, or if, you, if you think that this is, this is, you've been inhaling the wrong fumes from the wrong crops, or whatever it is, if you want a sign, if you want some affirmation, here it is. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, I found out this week, as I was researching for today, that actually the, the, the strips of cloth, the wrapping of a small child, a baby, in strips of cloth, is a practice that is still, um, it's still practiced in uh, Middle Eastern countries today, quite commonly. They are wrapped quite tightly to give the baby security. And also there's a, a theory that it, it, it sort of protects the vital organs. It keeps them warm, it keeps them bound, it, it just keeps, keeps the baby in one piece, this, this fragile little thing that's just been born. Being wrapped in strips of cloth is, is a perfectly reasonable thing to do with a baby. 
Lying the baby in a manger is not. Lying the baby in a manger is, is unheard of because, as we know, it's an animal feeding trough. It's not a hygienic place. It's not a, 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 a natural thing for someone to lay a poor, defenceless, innocent, weak, vulnerable, newborn child. It's very easy for us to focus on the wrong thing in this passage. It's very easy for us to focus on the, the, the human picture of the nativity and to think of the, the poor baby and the mother who's got nowhere else to lay her child. And of course there's nothing wrong with that. That is absolutely true. God sent his son into the world in a state of poverty, in a state of, 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 of muck and filth, of squalor. But, as I say, sometimes we can read this passage and sort of get the wrong end of the stick. For a start, the nativity scene that I described at the start of the sermon, where's the stable? We talk about this stable and we talk about there being no room in the inn and we sort of have this image of a, a shed in the back garden somewhere. Now, I'm no expert in, um, in New Testament Greek, as you know. So I did a little bit of research, and this is, this is take it or leave it. I'm not saying that this, is, um, that this is absolute fact, but every commentator I've read who's been published in the past 20 years has said that actually we've mistranslated in the past this, this word for inn, that actually Mary and Joseph didn't go to an inn. It was more of, because all the inns were full, they'd, they'd done that, they'd been there, the stable, if the inn was full, the stables would be full of the, the, the animals that had come with the people staying there. They were most likely in a house. But they would have been on the ground floor of the house. The ground floor of, of, of houses in Bethlehem at that time were purely used to keep your animals safe. So no, it's not a stable, but it is still a filthy, mucky, smelly, unpleasant place, unfit for anybody to spend much time, let alone a newborn child. So that idyllic image of the, of the stable with the star over the top out in the back garden of the inn, let's lose that. Let's just focus on the fact rather than the fiction. The manger. The word manger is repeated three times in this passage. What's Luke trying to tell us? What's Luke trying to tell us by repeating this word? Is it simply coincidence? Or does it actually point at something? Tom Wright describes this passage by saying that he uses the analogy of a dog. He says, if you've got, and I, I can identify with this because I grew up with, with dogs, um, and some people, I wasn't just brought up by dogs, um, but he says, if you point something out to a dog, and say, look, over there, there's, there's, there's a river, go and have a swim. Or there's a ball, or, or whatever it might be. If you point something to a dog, and the dog is sitting in front of you, the dog looks at you, and it will look at the finger that's pointing. You can say, look, over there, over there! And the dog will just be just looking at the length of the arm. It won't understand that actually the, the, the finger pointing is simply a sign and that actually the head should be turned and the thing of interest is what is being pointed at. And he, sa he says that we can be like that dog. We can read a passage of scripture and we can focus on the finger pointing 
which is the, this, this idyllic nativity scene and the, the fact that the, the shepherds saw the angels, they were terrified, then they went down and then they, 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 they worshipped the newborn king. We can focus on that rather than what is being pointed at in this picture. And I'd never really thought about this before, so I thought I'd share it with you this morning. Luke doesn't mention any animals. Again, in my nativity scene that I, that I painted at the start of the service, we have, we have the, the cattle are lowing and there's some sheep because we presume the shepherds brought them, but there's nothing to suggest that. Um, uh, there, there aren't any animals mentioned. And so if we're sticking to what we're actually told, then we can lose the stable and we can lose the animals. When we go back to what the angels say to the shepherds, they say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In verse 15 we read that when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. The problem is, that's where a lot of us stop. They hurry off to Bethlehem and they get there and they see the scene. They they walk into the room and they see the newborn baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. For them, that's a moment of, of clarity. That's a moment when they think, right, okay, it was true what we've been told. That's this, that, that, that angelic presence, that, that messenger that appeared to us, that vision we've just seen, because they must have had some doubts, surely, when they walked off that hillside and they were going back to Bethlehem. Did that really just happen? Should we, are we all right leaving the sheep? What if, there's a, what if there's a wolf pack out tonight? This could be disastrous for our career prospects. We'll never work again. But they go. And they're... they're they're looking around in Bethlehem. They're looking and looking and looking and, and Luke's, Luke records that they were told the baby will be lying in a manger. So they didn't go to houses where they could maybe hear children crying. They didn't go to the houses of local residents that they knew were expecting a child. They went to animal sheds and they went to the ground floors and they knocked on doors and they said, have you got a manger? What's in it? And eventually they find the right place and they go in and they see that just as the angel said, there is a baby and it is wrapped in cloths and it is lying in a manger. That was such an odd thing to happen. That was so unusual. That was, that was so um, just completely at odds with, um, with, with where a newborn baby should be, should be laying. But they would not have been thinking, well, it could be a coincidence. Maybe the angels got lucky. It's, is that really? No. This was such um, an unusual thing to happen that they walked in and they, they bowed down and they worshipped because they knew this was the affirmation. The angels had appeared to them and seeing that baby, that, that is the moment when they acknowledge him as Lord. And that's also another moment. 
That's the moment when these shepherds become the first evangelists. What's their reaction? They go in, they, 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 they acknowledge the newborn baby, they share with Mary and Joseph, and then, verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the first thing they do, their reaction to seeing this baby lying in the manger isn't to, to pose for the Christmas card snapshot, isn't to, to obey the, the tradition that we've laid, layered and layered and layered upon that scene. Their reaction, wow, that was, it was, it's true. We've got to go and tell people. Guess what happened? This angel appeared to us. The, they, they, the, the a whole host of angels, they were singing, they were praising. They said there would be in Bethlehem tonight, just born, a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. We've just been told this by angels of God. And he's the Messiah. He is the Messiah. Let's think of Mary and Joseph. We haven't mentioned them yet. Nine months before this, give or take, maybe a few weeks, they both had a meeting with the angel Gabriel in which they've both been told separately that Mary is going to conceive by the Holy Spirit and that she's going to have this baby. They've then heard about the census and they've had to take the decision to travel. They've had to decide what they're going to do about their relationship. There would have been some pretty heated discussions, I would imagine. They've been through a huge amount in the past nine months. Now, I know that, well, I've never experienced it myself, but I can imagine that a meeting with an angel is a pretty memorable event. I'm not suggesting for one minute that nine months later they would have forgotten about it, but... As far as we know, as far as scripture tells us, they hadn't had any more angelic messengers appear to them to reassure them, to give them comfort, to tell them that it's going to be okay. Just to let you know you're doing the right things, everything's okay. They'd had this, each had this one meeting with Gabriel and then suddenly, that's it, he's gone and and what do we do now? What do we do now? And then on this night, They've had this baby in the most appalling conditions and they've laid him in an animal feeding trough and they must have been feeling deserted. Where is God? Where's the angel now? This child might not survive the night in these conditions. He's so vulnerable. Mary, suffering the the physical, the emotional results of childbirth. The exhaustion of the journey on top of the exhaustion of labour. Joseph must have been standing there thinking, I could lose them both. I could lose them both. Where's God? And then suddenly there's a knock on the door. And he thinks... Who's that? And these shepherds walk in and there must have been a moment when Joseph thought, talk about picking your moment. Thanks guys, I could really do without this. But then they walk in and they say to Joseph, you're not going to guess what's just happened. You've got to hear this. We're up in the hills. An angel appeared. They put us at ease. They told us not to be afraid, but they said this. 
They said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. They told us that today in the town of David a saviour has been born. They told us that he is Christ the Lord. And they told us that we'll find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Just like this one. Can you imagine the relief, the joy that would have brought to Joseph and to Mary as they suddenly remembered exactly what they'd been told by Gabriel nine months before, as they remembered every detail of their angelic meeting and then they suddenly realised that the despondency and loneliness and difficulties and hardships of the past nine months, they must have just been washed away as they suddenly thought, God is here. God has sent an angel, maybe not to us, but God has sent a messenger to pass on a message to the shepherds, to pass on to us. And now look, those guys are going out the door. They've said hello to the baby, they've said he's very cute and lovely and that they've, they've even, maybe even bowed down and, and worshipped. We, we, we don't know, but what we do know is they went out and they told people and the people they heard were amazed. These shepherds had received a message from an angelic messenger. They had heard the songs and the praising of the angels, the host of angels. And then they had been obedient. They had done exactly what they knew they had to do. They were almost overcome with the excitement of the joy. They were knocking on doors, they were telling people, guess what, there's a baby up there, it's lying in an animal feeding trough, but you won't believe what's happened. Nine months ago, the parents, they had a visit from an angel. Last night, we had a visit from an angel. Guess what both, both was said both times in both these meetings? This is the Messiah. This is God's King. Check out the scriptures. It's beginning to make sense. It's beginning to tie up. Wow. Wow. And we're told, we're told Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. We're told that several times in the Gospel. That Mary sees what's going on and she treasures what's going on. She treasures the way that God is in control. Eventually the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. The shepherds didn't stop with the snapshot of a Christmas card. They didn't wait for the wise men to turn up. They didn't wait for a clear night so the, sky, the star was visible. They just went in and they suddenly thought, he was right, you know. We've got to tell people. For us as Christians, when we pick up our Bible or when we go through the waters of baptism or when we first pray for Jesus to come into our lives and acknowledge him as our saviour. Do we stop there? Do we sort of pose for a photo opportunity? Or do we say, that is amazing. I've got to go and tell people. Do we do what the shepherds did and just, just go out and just tell people? The shepherds were uncomplicated. They, they just, for them, they received the message. They had evidence that the message was true, so they passed the message on. It was that simple for them. We can make evangelism and missions so overcomplicated today. And I know what it's like, I feel it as well. It's difficult to talk about our faith. It's so, it's so easy for others to say, go on then, if God's real, where is he? And you can be sitting in a group of people and you can feel like they're about to rip you to shreds. You can feel like a sheep whose shepherd has left them and they're about to be attacked by a pack of wolves. 
Evangelism isn't easy, but it is necessary. It's an act of obedience to God. These shepherds were obedient. They were faithful. They believed absolutely in the message that God had given them. They believed every word of the angel. But God gave them evidence. God said, look, there he is. The angels told you up in the hills this was going to happen. You've come here. There he is. And because they'd seen the evidence, they went and passed the message on. They were sacrificial as well. They could have just stayed with their sheep. They could have done what the world would say was the right thing to do. They could have waited for the maybe another shepherd to turn up to take their place, but they didn't. They acted immediately. They were prepared to get their priorities right, to potentially lose future earnings, potentially allow their sheep to wander, potentially lose their jobs. They acted on what they knew was right by God rather than putting their their career prospects, their, their livelihood first. We know nothing about these shepherds apart from what's in this passage. And yet we can certainly read this and be sure that they were brave, loyal, uncomplicated, obedient, faithful, sacrificial followers of God. Now, of course, at the start of this passage, there is a reference to the the census. The census. And just to finish with this morning, I just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the census, because the shepherds represent the lowly, the poor, the, the unprivileged, the ones for whom life was a daily battle, the ones whom society said, those sheep are more important than you. You just make sure that if, if, if anyone's going to die getting attacked, it's going to be you and not those sheep. But at the other end of the social spectrum, we have, we have Caesar Augustus, who called this census... Now, Caesar Augustus is an interesting character. He was the son of Julius Caesar and he was, he was the one who turned Rome from a republic into an empire. So, in other words, he, he turned it from a, a, a democracy into a dictatorship. He declared his own father to have been a god and so he called himself the son of a god, the son of God. This was going on at the very time that he called the census. He claimed to have brought peace and justice to the world because he'd got rid of democracy and suddenly it was his word or, his word or death and he claimed that, was, that brought about peace and justice. In Roman propaganda, he's referred to as the saviour. He was worshipped as a deity. See, all these words, they kind of ring familiar, don't they, when we think about Christ. This was Caesar Augustus. He was lining himself up to be, to be the saviour of Rome. He was lining himself up to be called son of God, to be worshipped. And just while this is going on in his kingdom, he calls this census. You can see God's master plan taking place. Caesar Augustus calls this census so that he can have a record of everybody in his empire everybody in his kingdom, everybody that that submits to his authority. And this was huge. The Roman Empire, as we know, was was huge at this time. But by doing that, he triggered the event, the census, that caused 
prophecy to be fulfilled that caused Mary and Joseph to go back to Bethlehem in Judah, the town of David. He caused the birth of Jesus, who was the true Son of God, the true Messiah, who did bring peace and justice to the world. Within a generation after Caesar Augustus, Jesus had grown up and was standing before Pilate, the representative of the Roman Empire. Now, Caesar Augustus never met Jesus, probably never even heard of him. But when Pilate, representing the the new emperor, stood and condemned Jesus to death, once again, the earthly authorities were simply unknowingly playing their part in God's master plan. A hundred years after Caesar Augustus, the next Roman emperor was putting to death followers of of Christ because the church was becoming a threat to the Roman Empire. And 300 years after Caesar Augustus, or 350, the then emperor was submitting to the authority of Christ. This baby born in this stable didn't stop on that Christmas card. This baby born in that stable changed the world. Those shepherds were the first to go and to tell people, but they weren't the last. And we are picking up their thread. We can pick up their story. We can refuse. We can refuse to settle for Christmas being caught up in that simple Christmas card scene. We can refuse to accept that. We can say, no, that's not Christmas. Christmas is just a trigger. Christmas is just a trigger. The Christmas story hasn't ended. The Christmas story is going on and on today because just like those shepherds, we should be sharing the message. We should be talking to people. We should be spreading joy to those that we meet. Everything that we do as Christians, we should be, we should be seeking to do our absolute best. I'm reminded of this at college. Every, every essay we do, we're, t- we're told, you're, you know, this is an act of worship. Writing an essay is an act of worship. You think, what, really? But... Everything that we do as Christians, we should do to the best of our ability. People should recognise that we, are, we stand apart because we don't just do what's required. We do everything we can. We set the standard and we do it joyfully. We do it with an attitude of serving, with an attitude that says, I will, I will, I will sacrifice, I'll put my own interests aside. I will do what I think is right by God. I will do what I do to the best of my ability because everything I do is an act of worship, an act of service to God. And if that is true, then what could bring more joy than serving God? The shepherds didn't stop at the manger. And this Christmas, quite simply, neither should we.